my Dharma talk. A little bit because a member of our community was in a, a, a really um, challenging episode of vomiting and intense migraines, and um, so I sat with her for a little bit, and she's been taken home. <clears throat> And so I, I want to begin by acknowledging the impact of um, uh, what we're doing together, that each one of us is co-creating a container that is uh, the conditions for uh, just our, each of our own journeys, and some of those journeys are gentle and some are intense and um, and what's beautiful is that we're holding it that in some way each of you are giving each of us that gift of uh, supporting and holding and allowing however whatever is unfolding for us to unfold on this journey Um, so maybe I'm going to talk about something that I didn't think about at all, but we'll see how it goes. So I just want to acknowledge, uh, because it feels like acknowledgement is so important, the profound impact of what we're doing. When we reflect on um, the expressions of ignorance and uh, of misunderstanding that happens in our culture. Resistance, which is the traditional word used for liberation struggles, resistance to the delusion and ignorance that gets expressed in our cultures is just always so um, beautiful because it's saying even though I've received negative messages and perhaps not 100% negative messages but many about my um, not loud enough do we need it a little louder up even though we've received negative messages as a, uh, a queer community, um, a gender queer community, um, or as um, women, or as people of color, the messages that men are conditioned to about not being allowed to have feelings or to cry or to open or be vulnerable. The deeply intense messages we receive, those of us who are not able-bodied, 
the shame some of us have felt being poor or not being able to speak English as our first language or not speaking in the ways that communicate we have been educated, you know, the formal education, all the different ways where who we are hasn't been given the reflection of you are a beautiful and magnificent being, uh, uh, part of the miracle of creation of life. And your unique expression is irreplaceable and important to our community. When we've been, some of us, part of liberation struggles, of resistance, we're resisting those negative messages and we are saying, no, that doesn't reflect the dignity that I am. And this might not be how you would frame this at all. It's not the traditional framing. But in some way, I understand what we're doing as a struggle of resistance to that negative colonization of our minds, our bodies, our hearts. We, even if we don't feel it in the moment, the practice is based on the understanding that we are beautiful beings, that we... um, not only are beautiful beings, but have the capacity to uncover those, con- those conditionings. That's terrible English, but that conditioning, the conditioning we've received. To touch that our lives are sacred and that they're always deserving of love. And of this incredible struggle, sometimes it's a struggle, sometimes it's not, but in, sometimes it's more subtle, to reclaim that, to reclaim that, not only as an individual, but as a community, because it's not just an individual affair. You know, and that one of the biggest challenges that we face is resisting the misunderstanding that comes from how we judge ourselves, resisting the judgment that somehow we are failing. Because just being here is the exact opposite. Sitting in this room is the exact opposite. It is, even if we can't see it in the moment, we here see it and say, no, what you are doing is phenomenal and important and not just for you individually, but for our community and for our world. Because unless we feel our lives in the ways that we want to reclaim, 
unless we open to our life as it unfolds, then it's hard to open to all of life. When I, when I was, well, I grew up in a Marxist household, for those of you who don't know, so this it, this is my lineage, my ancestral lineage. My parents were activists in South Africa against apartheid and considered themselves Marxists. And I don't know if they still do, but um, they did then. And um, when I was in my 20s, I went to a Marxist study group and read Das Kapital and joined different workers' organizations and struggles. And one of the things that I saw was that whatever, whatever um, wish we have for transformation, wherever it comes from, that it is a journey and that we visit, we visit the, the, um, the ourselves and our communities over and over again in the effort to find ways of relating to each other that don't reproduce what we've been conditioned to. And when we talked about the refuges and precepts yesterday, we were providing a framework that's worded differently than what I'm saying now, but is really um, the same thing, which is that we are just sacred in our capacity to touch what is so honorable and beautiful about life each of us has that capacity and that in that opening we understand that harming doesn't serve us and doesn't serve our community and we understand it because we've been harmed explicitly and implicitly and we understand the impact of that. And so it's said that Being a human being and experiencing suffering is the condition for liberation because that suffering and the acknowledgement of it becomes the condition for freeing ourselves. And that's what we're doing. And it isn't about us failing individually. It's about acknowledging the reality together of what it means to be us. And then the path of healing. So, um, so I couldn't want to be in a better crowd of people <laughs> because this work feels and you feel so. Um, inspiring in this 
reclamation. My teacher, Ruth Dennison, got married to uh, um, Henry Dennison, who came from the family that owned the Santa Fe railway system. And so he inherited quite a lot of wealth. And she came from a lower middle class German family. And his family had a hard time accepting her because of her class and uh, that she wasn't formally educated. And so it took him a long time to give her a wedding ring. But after many years of being together, he gave her this family heirloom, very exquisite ring with many diamonds and very precious jewels and things. And so it felt very special to her. Uh, not only because it was a very beautiful ring, but because it was an indication of her finally being acknowledged as the wife of Henry, and that Henry was acknowledging her too. Some, um, a f- some time later, I'm not sure how much later, they decided to go away on vacation to Mexico and they took a train And she was sitting on the train and she thought, you know, I don't feel that comfortable traveling and wearing this ring. Henry, I'm putting the ring in my bag. And because she was always practicing, it was one of the most amazing things about her that any opportunity there was, she would practice. She said, I'm going to do walking meditation in the corridors on the train. And so she left Henry with the bag and went to start doing walking meditation. And a gentleman came into the compartment, very beautiful Mexican man in a white linen suit, sat down next to Henry and um, started chatting with him. And then Henry started to doze off. Ruth was doing lifting, placing, shifting on the alley uh, on the, the passageway and she had this thing I need to go back to the compartment she went back to the compartment and she saw this man with her handbag with the ring and all her money their passports everything you know when you're traveling everything credit cards jumping out of the window and he rolled and started to run. And she, as she came to the window, the first thing that came into her heart was, may you be free of any negative karma for this. And I feel so moved at that renunciation, that profound letting go of, uh, of suffering, of, of the heart saying, no, I want to be free. 
I don't want to hold on to anything that is going to bring me or anyone else suffering. And that's one of the things that resonated so deeply for me in coming to the Buddha's teachings is that he was so clear in naming our path of there is suffering and there is an end to suffering. And we can practice the ending to suffering. That deep commitment of looking at whatever is bringing us suffering and turning towards it in the intention, because it doesn't always happen immediately, to end that suffering. It's so strange why we as human beings are constituted the way we are, that we are wired to create suffering, as well as being wired to end it. And so the Buddha in the First Noble Truth is like, this is life, let's acknowledge what's going on. that we don't get, just essentially, we don't get what we want all the time and we get what we don't want, just. And that we are wired to, we're, we're captured in that wiring to keep on because we're never lastingly fulfilled, to keep on going for whatever it is that we want. And usually, whatever, what, whatever it is we want is pleasurable. And whatever it is we don't want is unpleasant. I've noticed in acknowledging this that when we experience some kind of trauma or deep challenge that that dynamic gets even more intense. It's like the mind misunderstanding tries to protect itself by going for pleasure to say here Let me give you this. Let me try and protect you from that. Because that's what gets triggered actually in trauma, is that dynamic. And so in acknowledging that, I I don't think and we know It's not just like a one-off thing where we get to say, oh, oh, look, I'm wanting pleasure and I can't always get it and so I keep wanting it. Or I don't want this pain and I've had enough pain in my life and I'm just going to keep pushing it away. It's not like just seeing that um, or acknowledging it um, intellectually means that it goes away.
the beauty of mindfulness and why we're cultivating mindfulness is that it actually takes us deeper than that dynamic and it awakens a whole different dynamic inside of us. That particular expression that came through Ruth, uh, an expression of generosity, of wisdom, of kindness, of seeing clearly moment after moment how to renounce suffering, how to keep on supporting a heart that is open and free. Mindfulness and all the associated energies and qualities is the path to that. And the Buddha was so confident in that that he said just unequivocally, if you are mindful, if you are mindful, there will be healing, there will be liberation. If we're somewhat mindful, then it'll take longer. He said, if, you know, if you're mindful seven, for seven years, then this, this dynamic of being caught in wanting and not wanting uh, will, will fall away. If you're mindful for seven months, he was talking about continuously being mindful, for seven weeks, for seven days. Whether we are continuously mindful or not, what I love about that is his expression of confidence that the actual practice of mindfulness undercuts with the practice of renunciation the dynamic of being caught in wanting and not wanting because it sees it clearly. I know that we've all experienced at some point or another moments of that kind of seeing clearly. And I think of the time when I first acknowledged that I was queer. And I'd been sleeping with my girlfriends and kissing them, but I had no language for it. I didn't know any out lesbians when I was in London. And I was in love with my best girlfriend who was totally heterosexual. And um, she was sitting in bed and she actually always smoked a joint right before she went to sleep. And so she said to me, oh, do you want a toke? I didn't usually smoke because I just get paranoid, but I took a toke. And then I looked at her and it just came to me I want to make love to her. And it, it was the first time I really acknowledged that I wanted to make love to a woman. And immediately after acknowledging it, this wave of shame, just incredible shame came over me. And the amazing thing was that in that moment, I saw it. I saw it as it was, that it was shame and that it had no truth to it whatsoever. And the shame dissolved. And I have, this is not true about everything in my life, but around this, around being queer, I can say I've never felt shame about being 
about being queer, about being a queer femme. So sometimes the seeing is so strong when we see clearly that something is going to bring us suffering, that it's immediately uprooted, and there are other parts of ourselves that take a constant seeing. I only get to have one Dharma talk with you. And so I'm going to try and get all the things in that I love to talk about. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to go in because it's, it's just the first night. But I do want to say something that has been profoundly helpful to me. And that is, so... How can I tell? What is it if when my mindfulness is, you know, isn't penetrating into the experience, how can I tell whether what's happening deserves renunciation? How can I tell? And what the what it, I found to be true and that I found also in the Abhidharma. So I'm not just quoting a book, it's also from personal experience. Something that has been so incredibly helpful to me. Just a quick framing. One of the... uh, hmm, ways we can uh, describe ourselves is a flow. We have a flow of different experiences right now. How you feel in your sitting is probably different than how you felt earlier on in the day, that there's this flow of different experiences. What you're thinking is probably different than how you um, thought or what you thought earlier on. The body is different. The mind is different. Emotions are different. Actually, all aspects of ourselves are different. And the, um, these teachings talk about this flow as moments of consciousness arising and passing away and arising and passing away. In each moment of consciousness, there are either energies that bring suffering or there are energies that bring liberating, liberation. Just in the energies that bring suffering, which we could mm, name as revenge, envy, craving, addiction, obsession, hatred, fear, sloth, torpor, you know, all the energies that we know, um, anxiety, uh, doubt. There are always four qualities that are always present in the mind. There's delusion, there's shamelessness, fearlessness, and restlessness. So delusion is not seeing things things correctly as they are. So when we hear that, like classic, that 
that this, um, the scourge of AIDS is God's wrath at us being queer. That's, you know. When we hear that, we see, we know that is totally ridiculous and not true, right? When we hear Donald Trump saying that um, immigrants from Mexico are criminals and um, are raping our women, we know it's not true. What is happening in the mind is that there is delusion in Donald Trump's mind. That is the misunderstanding and confusion about reality. Right? Yeah? Yeah. Misunderstanding confusion about reality. In that misunderstanding and confusion, there's no sense of like, oh, I can't do that. You know, no. No, Arena, you can't, you can't think that. That's gone from that confusion. There's no sense of, oh no, that's harmful, I can't do that. That's gone too with delusion. And there's a restlessness which doesn't allow, allow the mind to drop in and penetrate into the experience and say, oh no, I see clearly. Like, I saw that shame in my mind. There isn't that capacity to drop in to the experience so that it's known intimately and its qualities are known. There isn't that capacity. Every time you and I have a thought that is judgmental or that has associated with it wanting or not wanting, greed, craving, obsession, restlessness, sloth, torpor, doubt, or any of those other qualities, whenever any of us experience that, there is always delusion in the mind. There is always a misunderstanding in the mind. Uh, uh, And a restlessness in the mind and the incapacity to see that there will be harm coming from it. No fear of the harm around that. That's how come we can judge ourselves all the time, right? Because there's nothing in the mind that can see, oh my God, I'm hurting myself because there's delusion. Whenever we have a thought, that has associated with it faith, mindfulness, kindness, appreciative joy, compassion, equanimity, uh, um, uh, right concentration, the balanced effort, then we're seeing the truth. And in each moment of consciousness, you can't have both. Either there's delusion or there's liberation. It's just as clear as that. I love that because it's just totally clarified my mental states. Like, oh my God, I have had this thought for so long. I am so sure it's true, which is that I'm not good enough. 
And then come the teaching, wow, there's no friendship in that thought. It's judgmental. I can taste the self-hatred. It's not true. That's so radical. And then in just sort of backtracking in that way, it's like, and then can I take that leap of faith and renounce? Just like Ruth did. Can I renounce going into the cycle of revenge or more judgment or hatred or blame? Can I renounce it? And can I invite, because I know it's where my true home is, kindness and friendship? And the beauty of mindfulness, and that's why it's such a liberating tool, is because without it we can't see. Without it, there's no possibility of freeing ourselves because it can't see what's in There's nothing in the mind that helps us to perceive clearly what's going on. So all the efforts of sitting and walking and sitting and walking are to give us this capacity to liberate ourselves from what we know when it comes back to us or when we see other people doing it as profoundly misunderstanding what's really true. Disrespectful, unkind harming. And so it's sort of like, I, I, you know, and I don't consider myself like a, you know, super great, super, super woman practitioner. I feel like I'm such a poor student of my teacher, Ruth Dennison. And yet, this feels like such an incredible treasure to be that we, each of us here, have the good karma to have come into a situation where we are being given this incredible tool of liberation, of seeing, no, that is suffering and oppression, this is freedom and liberation. So then, just because time is running out a little, a little bit, I wanted to just add, the, that's mindfulness. And then the other is our capacity to love. And I've seen you all already uh, communicating your caring, opening the door and holding it for some of us to go out and um, all the other, you know... <sighs> Someone helped make coffee for me this morning. I mean, just all the different ways that we help care for each other and, and communicate this amazing capacity to care, to be kind, and to love. And so we are both challenging what imprisons us in the negative energies, and we are intentionally cultivating what is beautiful. And that's why we say, appreciate your efforts. See what is beautiful that's living inside of you, cultivating the wholesome. 
So there are all kinds of like little nuggets that the Buddha's teaching has. They're trillions, actually. And one is cultivate the wholesome and abandon the unwholesome. Just that. Cultivate what is beautiful, renounce what isn't. The energies that bring suffering. And that is what is liberating. That, and not because we're talking about it, this in the group, that liberation is a sort of great experience. You know, oh, I had such a cool experience. No, it's that we see we're kinder and clearer. Just, oh, wow, I, I noticed that, you know, all the eggs were gone in the refrigerator in my home and no one replaced them and I bought the last two dozen. And I see that, like, uh-uh in my mind. And I'm like, oh, I don't have to go there. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm so proud of myself. I dropped that so quickly. You know, oh, that's years of practice. <laughs> you know, and then you get to see. You're like, wow, I get to see the years of practice. Not because there's some brilliant awe around me, but I'm just a little kinder. <laughs> I'm refraining from harm clearer about how I want to relate to myself and the world. So we support you to brag about yourself to yourself as much as you want to, (laughs) about all your beautiful qualities, because it's true, you're beautiful. and to renounce and let go of the unwholesome. And that the path to that is this constant renunciation to enable ourselves to be present and mindful. For the first few days of a retreat, it is extraordinarily helpful to let go of thinking. Just whatever story you have to let it go and just to come back to the body, to come back to noticing what qualities are present in the mind, what you want to support, and what you want to renounce. Okay. So, which I, I bought a couple of things that I wanted to read, and which one should I read? So, you'll be liberated soon from listening to... Any more of this Dharma talk? <laughs> uh, this is from um, someone whose poetry I just love, is Joy Harjo, and it's called Eagle Poem. To pray, you open your whole self to sky, to earth, to sun, to moon to one whole voice that is you. And know there is more that you can't see, can't hear, can't know except in moments steadily growing and in languages that aren't always sound but other circles of motion like eagle that Sunday morning over Salt River. Circled in blue sky, in wind, swept our hearts clean with sacred wings. We see you, see ourselves, and know 
that we must take the utmost care and kindness in all things. Breathe in knowing that we are made of all this and breathe knowing we are truly blessed because we were born and die soon within true circle of motion like eagle rounding out the morning inside us. We pray that it will be done in beauty, in beauty. Let's take a moment and sit together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.